welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd, and I'm the Digital Media Editor at Heart. I'm delighted to be joined on this episode of the podcast by Dr. Thomas Payne from the University of Washington, Seattle, USA. Tom, many thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. And uh, Tom, you've recently published a very thorough review article in Heart about the use of electronic health records and how they will hopefully improve our experience as doctors and patients. Perhaps you could, as a brief overview, give us give us an overview as to the state of play of electronic health records in the USA and perhaps uh, wider as well. I think the USA is is, is blazing the trail here, but uh, what's the current state of play? Uh, well, it's a time of great transition here in the United States. Uh, I have to say, we we are currently making great strides, but other places on the the globe, including uh, the United Kingdom, have have been a little ahead of us for quite some time. So, in the United States now, most physicians use an electronic health record in their offices and also in hospitals. And this was not the case five years ago. So we have made a very abrupt transition after many years of uh, experimentation and and use by early adopters. You mentioned uh, other places around the globe. I've briefly alluded to the progress that the UK has made, but this is happening also in other places, uh, for example, Australia where there's uh, the beginnings of a transition to electronic health records. Uh, China, India is is making a great progress, and other places within Europe have also done so. So it's, it's a, a decade in which many physicians around the globe have moved from use of paper to use of electronic health records. Okay, and what would you say are the main benefits uh, of using an electronic health record compared to to old school pen and paper, if you like? Well, the main benefits are that the record is now in a form where it can be distributed more easily to patients, uh, to colleagues, and even more importantly, probably to be analyzed uh, so that the content can be leveraged for purposes other than uh, the usual use of a record, which is to read it one person at a time. So the contents of laboratory testing, the uh, content within narrative text notes has the potential to be leveraged to measure quality uh, and to improve it. So I would say that's the chief advantage. uh, And and I would put that mostly in the realm of potential advantage today, uh, but one that I foresee becoming an even greater advantage over time. And there are several different options. There are quite a few big players in this marketplace, shall we say. And one of the criticisms of EHRs, electronic health records, is that the interoperability of these systems is is fairly limited. Do you have any comments you want to make about that? I think that's a fair observation. The early use of these systems is using commercial uh, vendor products, and those commercial vendor products were largely developed uh, independently of each other, and so it is more difficult than you might think to exchange a patient's record from one commercial system to another. Uh, there are examples where this is uh, succeeding very well. Uh, I'll point to the 
the system used in the United States Veterans Health Administration, that electronic record permits records to be uh, uh, shared across the entire VA system. And within the UK, uh, there is a standard that results in the GP to GP exchange of information, and, and that also permits exchange. But for the large part, in the United States at least, if a patient has a record within a commercial vendor uh, A, then it's difficult for that record to be viewed by uh, commercial vendor product B. Uh, and this is uh, an area of uh, active uh, work and policy changes, but that is the case today. And is that, do you think, a result of, uh, shall we say, reluctance on the part of each vendor to open up APIs that might allow might allow better transfer of information, or is it actually a technical situation where maybe text files could be transferred between vendors, but not more structured data? Where, where do you think the blockage lies? I think it's a combination of those two reasons, but also the fact that the vendors have been working very, very hard on improving their product for the experience of clinicians and patients. And the effort devoted to information exchange has been lower on the list. Uh, so rather than it being a conscious effort to keep the record within their uh, customer community, I think it's mostly that they've been focusing on other things. And I, I'm optimistic that just as they have been successful in developing systems that can be broadly used, that over time and with appropriate policy incentives, uh, the, the exchange of information will also uh, become more possible. That sounds encouraging for the future. Um, let's just head back briefly to the to the main benefits, uh, as you as we talked about at the start of the podcast. There's a very nice figure in your review where you perform an overview of studies of electronic health records and where they have impacted on things like patient compliance with medications. And you show a nice plot which suggests that it's very heavily weighted towards benefit of using electronic health records uh, in that kind of situation. Are there other areas that you think really um, maybe either now or in the future where the benefit of EHRs uh, is very clear? Uh, well, I first want to agree with your assessment. This figure summarizes research over the last uh, over 20 years. And what that figure shows is that uh, electronic health records and the systems that are used to create them uh, have features that help us overcome one of our human weaknesses, which is that we, we often forget things. We are distracted and we are focusing on one thing when another thing is important and might not be addressed, those reminders can help us focus on the fundamentals. And they, uh, as this figure shows, they, they are quite effective. So effective, in fact, that it may be that we're overdoing it. Uh, we're using them too frequently and uh, losing some of the benefit as a result. But to go to your, uh, your question, I think the, uh, the other large benefit that I see, foresee for electronic health records is helping us with another human limitation. And that is that although we are uh, very good at making judgments and very good at reacting and uh, supporting other people, um, one area where we're not as effective is in assimilating large amounts of data. 
that might be important when considering a decision. So this other figure in the uh, in the paper, figure three, shows a rough diagram that that tries to uh, show in a schematic way that the amount of information that clinicians face in making decisions is rising rather dramatically, particularly as a result of uh, availability of genomic information, of imaging data, of narrative text. And humans have a hard time grasping all of this information and bringing it to bear on their decision. Computers can help with this by summarizing key facts finding data that might be relevant to a decision and bringing it to the attention of the decision maker. And I think this is one of their major advantages to clinicians. Yeah, absolutely. The figure is really clear and just shows the, as you say, the exponential rise in data that uh, I guess we're expected to uh, bring to bear in the way that we make our patient management decisions. I guess one other area that has caught my eye recently is the possibility of using EHRs for research uh, in terms of big data or data mining, both uh, text, textural data with lab result data, imaging data. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you think the area or the arena of big data and electronic health records might might go together and where we might be in, say, five or ten years, uh, just particularly on that aspect of electronic health records? Well, I think that's a very important question. The electronic health record creates large volumes of information which we can tap for individual patient care, uh, for reviewing the record in advance of seeing a, a patient in the hospital or in the clinic. But as you point out, uh, these large volumes of data can be tapped for other purposes. When we had paper records, most of that information about the course of patients and the response to treatments was in a stack of paper in uh, the basement of the hospital. And now it's in uh, large databases. So we have the potential to learn from this information in ways that weren't possible uh, in the past. We have this uh, phrase that describes this potential as the learning health system, where in the course of treating thousands and millions of patients, we see patterns in the kinds of services that are, that are rendered to them and in their response to it. And we can study those patterns and potentially learn in a way that complements what we learn from other uh, forms of inquiry, such as prospective trials. So this whole area in healthcare is referred to as big data, and th that term just makes the point that <laughs> these data are very, very large. Uh, there are uh, enormous volumes, and I think over time, we'll have more success in tapping them to uh, improve the kinds of care that we deliver and in uh, having insights that it would otherwise not be possible. And presumably also maybe uh, trying to predict significant events in patients based on data that's so deeply hidden that the human or an individual person, a doctor, simply couldn't see those links. Uh, exactly. Um, here's an example that uh, really uh, surprised me. One of the goals as we care for patients in the hospital is to predict which of the many people under our care might unexpectedly decline quickly to sepsis or to other causes. And that's been an objective for many, many investigators to know in advance who might be headed for trouble so that we can intervene early. 
Well, one very clever group of investigators uh, studied all the data available on all the hospital patients and determined that a key variable that was not recognized as being important turned out to help us understand who was going to decline. And we normally think of the pulse and the blood pressure and other vital signs, but this variable was how much of their meal did they eat two days earlier? And it turns out that people who were eating less uh, were more likely to be heading for decline. Uh, and so when you think about it, it makes sense. Somebody who isn't hungry may be having early signs of illness. So finding that particular piece of data in the volumes that we have uh, available to us in a hospital record uh, is not an easy thing to do. And these big data and analytical techniques pulled this data element out from all the others and found it to be important as a predictor. That's a really interesting insight. And as you say, it's very unlikely, I think. Certainly me as a doctor would, would actually notice that the patient had gone off their food and then uh, and made the connection there. So that's, that's fantastic. Uh, Dr. Payne, I'd, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. Um, as usual, I will put the link to the uh, PDF of your paper in Heart so everybody else can, can have a read. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you.